You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the LA International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in LA since 1989. Uh, so today we're celebrating the Jewish holiday of Purim. If you don't know what that is, it's okay. Neither do we. Um, we'll find out later. Um, we'd like to begin by introducing our speaker for today. Uh, he was born in Las Vegas, but raised here in LA. He actually went to Downey High School. He became a Christian over 10 years ago, and he was baptized on Purim in 1997. He's been a member of our group here for about a year and a half. Um, He's the site operations manager for Amazon Studios, and uh, I personally love it when he speaks. Um, And he's also a former Army intelligence officer. We'd like to meet our speaker today, Dink Toller. Um, But before Dink comes up, we have a short video about the Purim holiday and the story of Esther. Thank you. Thank you. Esther was a young Jewish woman. She was born into a broken family. She was a minority in an oppressive society. The odds were against her right from the start. But almost overnight, Esther went from rags to riches, from poverty to the palace, and she became the wife of King Xerxes I, making her one of the most powerful women in history. Irony seems to fill the pages of the book of Esther. Just as Persia has unknowingly crowned a Jewish queen, the king's visor, a man named Haman, is plotting a diabolical scheme to exterminate the Jewish race through a bloody massacre. There is only one Jew in the land who is in a position to intervene on behalf of her people. It's Esther. But it seems as though the pleasures of the palace had begun to intoxicate her. She begins to struggle with what course of action to take. As Esther looked around at the beautiful palace that was now her home, with its luxuries, pleasures, conveniences, and the wealth she had come to enjoy, it must have been difficult for her to imagine throwing it all away in some misguided attempt at heroism. She knew that taking this matter to the king would force her to risk everything she had, including her very life. Perhaps a more subtle approach would be best. Maybe she should just lie low for a while and wait to see how things would play out. Perhaps at some point she would have an opportunity to put in a good word for the Jews without jeopardizing herself. After all, what good would she be to anyone if she were dead? But Mordecai, Esther's cousin, sensing her internal struggle, sent her this message. Do not flatter yourself that you shall escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from elsewhere. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows 
but that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Welcome. And we're here to celebrate um, and to honor the book of Esther, which in the Jewish community is known as the holiday Purim, which means to cast lots. Uh, Purim was a couple days ago, uh, beginning Wednesday night through Thursday night. Again, um, a Jewish idiosyncrasy, uh, and when you're reading things in the Bible about days and the calendar days, days actually begin at sundown the day before. So when you hear people from my culture complain about fasting, we're actually kind of cheating because it's an early dinner one day, a late dinner the next. We're really missing breakfast and lunch. Um, you know, we really, we, we find a way around it all the time. Before sunset, after sunset, okay, I'm good. Um, but this holiday is an incredible day and an incredible opportunity uh, for us to be able to look back at the scriptures, to be able to look at the book of Esther and see just exactly who she was, uh, what was God's intent, what was God's desire, what was he trying to help us with through this holiday. And in a second, when we ha- hopefully have our uh, slideshow back up here in a sec, uh, we'll be able to kind of break down and walk you through the holiday. Uh, Purim itself is probably the biggest holiday you never knew existed. In Israel, in Tel Aviv alone, there probably would have been about a million people partying in the streets. Uh, it, it is an incredible day. Um, the best way to describe it is Halloween meets Mardi Gras meets Thanksgiving. All rolled into one and then maybe multiplied a couple more times. Um, and so as the holiday goes, uh, we'll be able to show you some pictures hopefully in a second, but the holiday itself is dictated by a few different things. Uh, the first and foremost thing is always eating. Jewish holidays are always tied to either one of two things, fasting or feasting. Thankfully, there's only one real called required fast in the Old Testament, but there were a whole lot of feasts that were required. So eating was much more prevalent. Um, and it comes in, so you can also give you an example sometimes of how to help us understand the Bible. And we're up, that's good, so we'll actually just keep moving on. So like as the video suggested, for such a time as this is an important concept, an important time. And it might be probably the most common phrase that's come out of the book of Esther, but there are a lot more things that actually do come out of it. But like I was saying, in modern times, how the holiday is celebrated, this is your typical biblical holiday. They tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat. <laughs> the most common Purim food are the cookies you see on the screen there. They're called hamantashen, which means Haman's ears. So we're eating the ears of our enemy. Or Haman's hat. In Israel, they refer to it as Haman's ears, outside more Haman's hat. But uh, the culture of that time, the Agagites were known for pointed ears. So maybe Spock is the future deliverance of the Agagites. Dressing up, like I said, it's Halloween. They dress up and becomes a massive holiday. Hundreds of thousands of people take to the streets and party. A lot of electronic music festivals, dancing all night, huge holidays. You have never seen, you think Mardi Gras in New Orleans has a reputation. Try Purim on the banks of the Mediterranean in Tel Aviv. One of the big things is telling the story, and we usually like, Jews usually like to have a sense of humor with it. So here's one that was done called Purim Wars, which they based off of Star Wars, where Haman is played by Darth Vader, Esther played by Leia. But one of the great things about the telling of these stories is that it's a very interactive concept. It's a very interactive thing. It's, it's, if any of you have ever been to the Rocky Horror Picture Show, you have an idea what a Purim play is like. What we do is when Haman's name is called, 
we may use these things called Gregors, and we make noise and we drown out his name when we boo. A lot of times little kids will write the name of Haman on the bottom of the shoes. And anytime Haman's name is said throughout the entire play, they stomp their feet and boo his name. When Mordecai's name is said, we cheer. And when Esther's name is said, we go, ah, and to represent the beauty that the scripture says that she has. But the holiday itself, while a lot of fun, has profound meaning far beyond what we know. What is uh, interesting to note of it is that it is the only book of the Bible not found in the Dead Sea Scrolls so far. It does not a single passage, phrase, or anything from the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the second thing of note from it is that uh, the, the name of God is not uttered in the entire book, though it is clear God is throughout the entire book. And we'll get to why that might be. To set the time and phrase for it, here's probably one of the most common scriptures most people love to talk about. Jeremiah 29, 11, that says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to <clears throat> give you hope and a future. But this scripture was meant for a specific group of people. And as we go throughout, you'll learn where the people in Esther's day fit into this prophecy and into this plan. As you can see here, this is a basic revived timeline from, um, from the time of King Saul to about the time of Nehemiah taking everyone back to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. And Esther falls in between there in the, between the 457 and the 538 BC time frame. But some of the things that are going to play relevant to this is that King Saul was about 1000 BC all the way up into the divided kingdom. And then in the 606 era was the exile. And that in that era leading up to Esther is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a lot of other stories that we know as well. But it's really important for us to know because this timeline is going to reveal a lot about God's nature as we go along. And that will come back into play and we'll see it again. What in your life is unresolved? One of the main themes of the book of Esther is about unresolved sin or unresolved past. And the scripture that I use for this seems harmless on the surface. You go, what the heck does this have to do with being unresolved? This is from Esther chapter 3, verse 1, which says, After these events, King Azarius, or King Xerxes, promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. So an introduction right there is one of the biggest verses you probably didn't know had significance in the entire book of Esther. Why? Because this points to an unresolved sin. It comes down to who is Haman. Why is he on the scene? Why does he exist? He's a descendant of the Agagites, which means he's a descendant of King Agag. And who was King Agag? Paul, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen and the fatlings, the lambs and all that was good, and were unwilling to destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So Haman is a direct descendant of the king Saul was commanded to kill and did not do so. The entire book of Esther never had to happen if Saul would have listened to the command God gave him. It took about 500 years for that to come back up. It's slow. It waited in the backgrounds and the weeds. And as we go throughout the story, it is interesting to note that Queen Vashti, who was the first queen that was... um, sent away by the king, was a direct descendant of King Nebuchadnezzar. 
We know that. We know that Haman is a descendant of King Agag, and Mordecai, it is believed, is a descendant of King Saul. So now the families have come back. So we have a family feud that's been quietly brewing in the background. We have the Hatfields and the McCoys, the the Israelites and the Amalekites, a war that has been centuries after centuries after centuries, and now they're back in the same place in Babylon. They're back in the same area under King Xerxes' rule. And it's interesting to see that we can have these same unresolved issues. Because what did the, what did Saul and the people of Israel destroy? Ah, if it's despised or worthless, it's out. I go to clean my apartment or my room, I make a decision. This is good, this is bad, out. Like this, I want to keep it, I, no matter what it is. The clapper stays. <laughs> I place worth on the clapper. I don't want to get up and have to use the light switch. Um, but, so they have what is good. And as we take these things and we understand this and who these people are, we can start to understand how the story unfolds. And as you do it, think about what is the Hamans in your life. What are the things that are unresolved issues, unresolved pain, unresolved sin, unresolved relationships that you have in your life that are festering in the background, so-and-so that you dismissed 10 years ago? I'm done with them. They're dead to me. Maybe it's because it's something good. We, we become a Christian. We become a disciple. We, we deal with things. We change. But we don't completely give up everything because maybe my wardrobe's a little too provocative, but do you know how much I paid for it? And that stuff looks great. I'm not going to get rid of it. Maybe it's a relationship that's not good for me. Maybe it's purity. Maybe it's debauchery. Maybe it's whatever it is. We got rid of the things that we didn't see value in, but there's certain things we might have held on to and held on into the back. You never know. I'm in on this God thing, but you never know when I might need a back door. You never know when I might need something to help me cope or numb the pain. But there's a danger and there's a cost to everything. Do your past events haunt you? For the Jews in the book of Esther, the Israelites, we can see that this absolutely did. In chapter 3 as well, it says, When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage to him. So uh, Haman had a big head. He wanted to go around, wanted to strut his stuff, wanted to show how cool he was, maybe showing off his new kicks, whatever it is. He's going around town wanting everybody to bow to him to recognize that he's the man in charge. He's number two. He's the consigliere. He's the, you know, he's the guy who's going to advise the king on when to go to war, when to do this, when to do that. He's the man. But Mordecai did not bow or pay homage to pay him homage. Haman was filled with wrath, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai, the old enemy of the Jews. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews. So the backstory of this story is Mordecai's hanging out at the gates, refuses to bow because he's not going to bow to anyone before God. So he doesn't bow. And now Mordecai's not just said, I want to just destroy you, or you, or you. I want to destroy all y'all. He wanted to go Oprah. You're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're all dead. <laughs> that was his mindset. Because of the anger and the angst of his unresolved issue that started with Saul and King Agag. You have this family thing. So now the slightest insult gets magnified because of the built up of everything that's not been resolved and left behind. Do you have events in your life? This is one of the major themes of this book. 
What in your life is holding you back? What in your life? Is it a past leader? A past relationship? A dream that is, or hope that's been deferred or unfulfilled? What is it that prevents you from being truly connected to God? What is it that prevents you from living the life that he wants you to have? Wrong way. How this then manifolds for them and who these Jews are is the next part of the story. There was a prophecy. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a part of it. The plans they have to prosper you. But in that, if you read on, it says in 70 years, make homes there because in 70 years I'm going to take you back to Jerusalem. Well, that happened in 538 B.C. This is around 485 B.C. This is the generation after that did not listen to God. They had been promised Jerusalem. Jerusalem was given. And when the first group went back, they said, nah, I'm good. I like my house. I like my life. I like my family. I like my neighbors. Them people back there are crazy. I don't want to go back to Jerusalem. It's a broken down town. Walls all around. Things have been down. It's been ravaged. The only people left behind after the, after the, uh, after the captivity, everyone taken into captivity, were the ones that Babylon didn't want. So they want to go back. So there's a group of them that stayed behind. So my life is good. They ignored God's calling. They ignored God's blessing. They ignored who it was. These people stopped following God. These people in this story were not the devout. They were not the, the holy. They were not the ones on their knees praying every day. They were the ones that said, God, I know you have a way, but my way is better. My way is more comfortable. And we have another word for that, complacency. If you are a Christian, if you do live in the West, we're very fortunate here for all the things that we can cry and complain about. We can get complacent. And Proverbs tells us, for the turning away of the simple will slay them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Have you become complacent in your walk with God? Look around. When's the last time we've been in a Bible study with someone? Are our quiet times, are our times with God, are our times in the Bible as impactful as they used to be? Do we wake up as passionate and thirsting for salvation as we did when we were alone in our room, despondent in fear and thinking things were never going to get better? Do we still have that same heart? Do we still have that same desire that wants to dig in there and pull out all of the garbage that is in there? And it is in there. We have to constantly ferret it out. And it can be easy. And I know in my own life, I've gotten times where I've gotten numb. But some of the best memories of my life are some of those toughest moments. They were horrible in the moment. But when I chose to fight, when I chose not to be complacent, when I chose to get on my knees, beat my chest, and and, and react in a way that submitted to God, things change. I feel like I am more passionate now than the day I was baptized, than the day I first came to faith. I know more because I study the Bible. The prayer times, the times digging in, the relationships, the friends. So many of you have helped me grow. But complacency can destroy all of that. Because we can be upset about how a ministry is led or where this is going or that is going. And it doesn't mean there aren't legitimate issues. 
But when the issues become the focus and the center, guess what's not the center? God. we got to remember, we can deal with the issue without getting complacent and obsessed over it. And the complacency usually happens after we've given up, after we've lost hope. So how will you respond? Mordecai, his response when he heard that Haman wanted to kill all the Jews, word of this plot got out, a decree was made by the king, and it was going all around the provinces, and when Mordecai got his hands on it, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out to the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. He didn't care who saw him. He went to the ugly cry. He didn't care. Makeup running every no, just you know everything. It didn't matter. When is the last time you wailed bitterly and loudly over the state of either the church, your life, your friends, the lost? And this isn't about guilt. This isn't about anything. This is about being motivated by love, and we'll get to what the ultimate motivation is. But it breaks my heart when I hear stories about over a dozen disciples in Syria going missing over the last few years in an ISIS zone, and no one knows where they're at. That tears my heart out. And that's the culture that's actually the opposite of my culture. That's who traditionally my culture would war with. But I'm not after my way. I'm after God's way. What is it in our life here? And it doesn't have to be there. What is it in our life? Do we struggle with our purity as single men? Or married men? Or women? Do we struggle with wanting to fit in and look good? Do I want to get up in the, in the mirror in the morning and say, hey, do these pants make my butt look good? <laughs> we can get lost in the trivial. And forget, I'm not worried about did they check me out or notice me. I'm worried about did they notice what's inside of me. The spirit of the living God is what's inside of you. But how did Esther respond at first? She sent garments to clothe Mordecai that he might remove his sackcloth from him, but he did not accept them. She got embarrassed. Oh my God, I'm queen now. This jeopardizes it. I hope nobody sees my uncle, cousin, depending what translation you read. So Uncle Morty is out crying and wailing bitterly, and Esther's more worried about, wait, don't let anybody see him. Servants, please, here's some clothes. Go get him. Let's get him dressed up. Let's get him clean. Let nobody notice. She tried to preserve her way of life. She tried to do what was convenient. The video talked about the, the, the idea of the life she had gotten used to. The things that she'd grown comfortable in. She'd gone from poverty to richness. We've even done that. Most of us in this room have done that spiritually. We were spiritually poor, became spiritually rich. But do we risk that rich spiritual life we have for our friends and neighbors so that they can have it too? Or have we grown comfortable and we try to preserve that? I'm good. You don't know what it took for me to get here. They crazy. I gave my time. Next generation's time. Teens, you guys got it, right? I'm done. <laughs> Are we all going to be involved? Are we all going to give? Are we all going to serve? Now, Esther obviously gets told about it. She changes. She gets hit by the heart and she channels them to, to fast for three days. What's interesting to note is the scriptures actually said the people were already fasting, and then she told them to fast for three more days. And three days of fasting in the Old Testament culture was actually a symbol of repentance before God. So she's telling them to go before God is essentially what she's telling them. 
And yes, brothers, that was a sister telling men to go fast. It's another lesson. Have fun with that one later, Ken. Um, no. <laughs> uh, but will you remain quiet? Are you going to speak up? Are you going to risk everything around us? We live in West L.A. The Oscars are tonight. And I work, as I said earlier, was when I was introduced, I work, I'm the site manager for Amazon Studios. Bunch of parties going on tonight. Vanity Fair, IMDb, the Elton John party, the Governor's Ball. There's all these different things going on tonight. When you're in your life around you here in West Los Angeles or wherever you live, the valleys, Orange County, Inland Empire, Nashville. We're going to talk about that later, Renee. Um, you in trouble. Um, but no matter where we live, are we going to remain quiet? Or are we going to speak up? And by speaking up, we can focus on the methodology. You, oh, he's telling me to go cold share. I know it's coming. He's going to tell me to go cold share. I hate cold share. No, I'm going to tell you to share your life. And that might mean your faith to someone because you might only have a moment. And that might mean pulling someone else into your life and just sharing a meal with them and listening to them and listening to their hurt, allowing them to wail bitterly. Someone was there for you. Are you going to be there for someone now? We all need to do it. It could be a struggle for me. Live in the valley, work here in Santa Monica, part of an amazing ministry in the west side. I spent way too much time on the 405. 405 or save someone. 405 or save someone. <sighs> Man, I want to go home and take a nap. <laughs> but I have to push myself out of my comfort zone. And what did he tell her? It was mentioned at the end of the video. It's the title of the lesson. Do you not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape? For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So I almost talked to the safe folk in the room for a minute. You are in a royal priesthood right now, in your position right now. Why? Why does he have you in this ministry at this time with your current circumstances? Why? It's an important thing to consider. It's an important thing to wrestle with. We have an amazing life. A small party's great. A big party's better. Being able to help someone. Being able, we all have had those fantasies. What if everyone was disciples? We'd all be polite on the freeway. We'd all do all these things. Maybe, maybe not. Did we have a quiet time that day? But we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing to willing to better our community? Are we going to remain silent because we want to fit in? The wings are going to take fitting in in school. It's always a challenge. There's always that battle. At work, do you fit in? Working for a Hollywood studio. Am I angling for my next job? Let me not talk about that Christian Jewish thing too much. People may not understand. Or am I going to be bold and say, this is who I am. Let the chips fall where they may. Because I know how it ends. It ends in heaven. So what am I really scared of? The anxieties seem real. The fears seem real. But are they justified? Our feelings are valid. Let me say that. Our feelings are valid, but they can't dictate the course of our actions. They can't. 
Got to know the position for such a time as this. We in this ministry have been put here for this city for this time. If those that are helping Malibu, those that live in Westwood, those that live in the Silicon Beach, claim your neighborhood. Claim it. When's the last time you prayed for your neighborhood and just claimed it? Not for salvation, but it's the land of God. Claim it for God. This is God's land. And let it, God be worshipped within his land. Why don't we just start there? That's simple. Put the Holy Spirit all up around the place. I got to visit Hawaii at the end of January. One of the coolest things I saw when I got to visit the Oahu Church was that they, they put up a map of their new ohana, their new family groups. And they literally had that entire island There was not a half mile where there wasn't an Ohana group, a family group. Sixty-some Bible talks covering that entire island. It was convicting. Their ministry is no bigger than ours. They're dealing with a million people. We got a million, couple million people on the west side. Maybe we have a few more. Give or or take what time it is on the 405. (laughs) But we have this opportunity to do something pretty amazing. God will deliver if we do it. A pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had set it up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Those of you not as familiar with the story, I encourage you to read the book. It's a great book. So he was either impaled or hanged, again, depending on how you translate it. Hung on the gallows that he had built to hang Mordecai himself. God will deliver your enemies into your hands. You will not deliver your enemies into God's hands. There's nothing you can do. Give up. Let go. Let God do it. Quit trying to hold on to something that's dying and passing away anyway. It means nothing. It means nothing. These folks, how did they respond to being saved? They got a chance. It was a day set aside. They got to go and kill their enemies. They partied like it was 1999. They went crazy. They had Mardi Gras. But then, in 457 B.C., thereabouts, Ezra, who now knew the story of Esther, and Daniel, and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, David, defending Goliath, defeating Goliath, Ezra leads another group back to Jerusalem. And then a few years later, Nehemiah completes what had been started. And eventually, most, if not all, the Jews that had stayed behind went back to Jerusalem to worship the living God. Do we have that other one? Is it available? We'll see if this still picture starts moving in a moment. But this is where they were coming back to. They were coming back to Israel, which is where it's known as the Shekinah, the Spirit of God dwelled. This is prior to Jesus. So where they knew the Spirit of God dwelled, this is a live camera at the Western Wall in Jerusalem. This is exactly where they were trying to get. That is the exact spot that they believe the Spirit of the living God dwelled, the Shekinah. It's where Abraham was sent to sacrifice his son. It's where eventually Jesus would die and lay down his life. But this, the torn rocks, this is the only thing that remains of the ancient ancient temple area. It's an outer wall that wasn't part of it. But it is quite late there right now. 
And that's probably a couple thousand people, maybe, maybe 2,000, 3,000 people, hard to tell. That court can hold about 150,000. Going there just to pray, looking for God. Christians, Jews, tourists, just looking for God. Eventually, they went back and they looked for God. Thankfully, the Spirit of the living God resides well within us, as the scriptures say. If we could switch back, if it's possible. So we can get to the last slide. As we dwell on it, that Spirit lives inside of you. One of the things that, um, even in Jesus' day, they used to talk about was the seat of judgment or the seat of Moses. Everyone wanted to get to the seat of Moses within the synagogue. And the seat of Moses was the one closest to Jerusalem. So it could be in the back, it could be in the front, it could be wherever. They desperately wanted that because that was the person who was closest to God physically. The seat of Moses is the seat you're sitting in now. The spirit of the living God lives inside his people. You don't have to go anywhere. We don't have to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to find the spirit of the living God. It's an amazing place. I recommend it to anyone who ever gets an opportunity. Go. Amazing place. But look within yourself. Go back to the living God. Serve him who first reached out to you. And we have a couple challenges for you. A couple of next steps that we should have in just one second as we wrap up. But as you look and you just kind of examine your heart and you look at those areas, what have I left unresolved? What sin have I not repented? Have I grown complacent? There's a path on how you can do it. Face your past and allow God to heal it, first and foremost. Christian or not, start there. Once you've done that, I'm going to challenge you. If you've never studied the Bible, ask someone to study the Bible with you this week, better yet today. If you've already studied the Bible, i got a challenge for you. Ask somebody this week to study the Bible. Find somebody. Ask them. Don't have to be profound. It doesn't have to be the Sermon on the Mount. One verse for a moment. Because God's going to do all the work. All you got to do is open your mouth. He's going to do it. No matter how brilliant you are. And I think I'm pretty brilliant. I love me some mead. <laughs> but there is no way that any of it will ever happen when if it's not bound by the living God. He's going to do everything. We know the outcome. We know that he will deliver. We know the end of this story. We have nothing to fear. Yes, can but fear itself. I know. I know you were thinking it. But once we do that, we study the Bible. Make a decision to see God's will to completion. Don't just start it. Finish it. If you, if you made a commitment to God some years ago, but have stopped dealing with certain aspects of your character or your life or your, your relationship with your spouse or whatever it is, go back and complete the work that God began within you. If you've been waiting or don't or haven't had a relationship with God for some reason, go back and complete it. He's calling you. He's calling you right now. He's calling you to change. He's calling you to victory. He's calling you to that life you you currently don't believe is possible. You hope is possible, but you don't believe is possible. But it absolutely is. And then once all that is done, 
Celebrate the life He has given you. Celebrate. Enjoy. Discipleship is not a job. It's a lifestyle. It's a privilege. It's an honor. Celebrate those like Renee that are moving. We're going to have a dinner for her tonight at 5 o'clock. Indian restaurant down the street. More details are going to be coming later. Free plug. Free plug, Renee. Uh, we all got to make sure because Sarah wants to make sure her mom really gets in the car and leaves. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. They love each other very much. They love each other very much. Uh, that's all I'll say. Um, but... Celebrate the life he has given you. And what motivates all of this? What is my motivation for all of this? I'll leave you with this. To know the one who saves him. I want to know Christ. Yes. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. There is another life on the other side. Make a decision today and see it through. Thank you very much. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.